The Mishnais continue to discuss the details of those things which were listed at the beginning of the Perek that they need to be said in Lashon HaKodesh, in the way that the Torah writes them. And the next one on the list, which we are up to, is Birkas Kohen Godol, the brachas which the Kohen Godol would make after reading from the Sefer Torah on Yom Kippur. Kate said, how would that work? What would the procedure be? Now this took place towards the end of the entire Yom Kippur service. This is one of the last things done. That the Kohen Godel would read from the Sefer Torah things which have to do with Yom Kippur. And there's actually a discussion as to whether when the Mishnah says it had to be said in Lashon HaKodesh, is that referring to the brochus which the Kohen Godel made after reading from the Sefer Torah, which is sort of implied by the Mishnah over here, Birchos Kohen Godel. Or, according to others, it's referring only to the actual leaning, the actual reading from the Sefer Torah. That had to be done from the Sefer Torah itself, and of course it had to be in Lashon HaKodesh, like the Sefer Torah is written in. But the brachas themselves, according to those who explain like this, would be able to be said in a different language. Be as it may, Kate said, how would this work? Chazan HaKnesset's little Sefer Torah, the person in charge of the technical issues of the shul, there was a shul right next to the Besamikdosh, and the Sefer Torah were kept in the shul. So he would take a Sefer Torah from there, and Venosa the Rosh HaKnesses, he would give it to the head of that shul, and the Rosh HaKnesses was very similar to what a Gabba does nowadays. He's in charge of deciding who will daven, who will get the alias to the Torah. So he would now have the Sefer Torah. The Rosh HaKnesses knows that Sagan, this head of the shul, the Gabba, would give the Sefer Torah to the deputy Kohen Godol. This was the person who would replace the Kohen Godel. If something happened to the Kohen Godel, for example, he became Tomei, and he wasn't able to therefore do the service on Yom Kippur, so the Skan Kohen Godel, the deputy, would take his place. So he takes the Sefer Torah, and Vaskan knows the Kohen Godel, and the deputy Kohen Godel gives the Sefer Torah to the Kohen Godel himself. This process increases the honor of the event and the honor of the Torah, that more people are involved, the Kohen Godel Oimeidu Makabel, and the Kohen Godel stands up and receives the Sefer Torah whilst standing up. The Kohen Oimeid, and he reads from the Sefer Torah while standing up. And which parts of the Sefer Torah would he read? So the Kohen Achremos, he would read the part of, of Parshas Achremos, which discusses the Beis Hamikdosh service on Yom Kippur. And then he would roll the Sefer Torah, a few parakim, to the Achbe Osar, which is in Parshish Emmer, which discusses the prohibition to do work on Yom Kippur. And then once he has finished reading while standing up, the Goylel Esatayrah, he would roll up the Sefer Torah, Umanicha B'chekai, and he would hold it in his lap with his arm, the Omer, and he would say, he would announce to the people, Yosem Mashakarisa Lefnechem Kosovkan. More than that which I just read now is written in the Sefer Torah. The Torah does write more about Yom Kippur, and that is in Parshas Pinchas to do with the Korbanis of Yom Kippur. So you would tell them, don't think that the reason why I'm not reading it from the Sefer Torah is because this is missing from the Sefer Torah, chas v'sholem. The Sefer Torah is complete, and then he would be able to read it He would read that part of the Torah in Sefer Bamidbar, which, no, which is known as Chumash because the beginning of Parshish Bamidbar talks about how the Jewish people were counted, that's the word Pekudim, and that's referring to the part of the Torah in Parshish Pinchas, and he would read that by heart. The reason being that he wouldn't now spend the time rolling all the way from Parshish Emmer to Parshish Pinchas, that would take a while, and it, it would cause the people who were there to have to wait. It would be Tirchad Tzibura, causing bother to everybody else who is present, and because of that, he would read it by heart, but he would still need to explain to them that it is not because it is not in that Sefer Torah. The Sefer Torah is complete, but nevertheless, he's reading it by heart. And then, once he has read those three parts, or he's said those three parts of the Torah, 
which discussed Yom Kippur, then he would make eight brachas on the Sefer Torah. Firstly, Allah Torah, the regular bracha made after the Sefer Torah is read. Actually, not so long, Torah's MS, etc. Secondly, Valha Veda, he would make a bracha to do the actual service of the Beis HaMikdash, and that refers to the bracha, or very similar to our bracha of Ritzei, in Shemona Esrei. Thirdly, Valha Yudoya, he would make a bracha thanking Hashem, that's very similar to our bracha of Moidim. Valmichilasa Ovoin, he would make a bracha asking Hashem to forgive their sins. There's a discussion as to whether that's very similar to our bracha of Slachlonu, or perhaps it's similar to the bracha we say on Yom Kippur, asking Hashem for forgiveness. Number five, Bala Mikdash, about the Beis HaMikdash, asking Hashem to continue to rest his Shekhinah, his presence in the Beis HaMikdash. Val Yisrael, asking that Hashem protects and continues resting his presence among the Jewish people. Val Koyanim, he makes a bracha that Hashem should accept the service of the Koyanim. Val Shrei Tefillah, and then there's a the last eighth bracha, which is a genuine bracha for Hashem to listen to our prayers and anything else which the Kongodal might have wanted to add, he could add it to that bracha and those would be the eight brachas which would need to be said in Loshon HaKodesh. The next thing on the list is Parshas HaMelech, the part of the Torah which the king of the Jewish people would read and he would read this once every seven years right after a Shemitah year during Sukkot. All of the Jewish people would come to the Beis HaMikdash and the king would read from the Sefer Torah. Kate said, how would this work? On Motzi Yomtev, the night after Yomtev has ended, the first day of Sukkot, Bashmini, in the eighth year, meaning there's a cycle of seven years. The Shemitah cycle is made up of seven years. So at the end of the seven years, which is the eighth year, you could call it the first year, the right after Shemitah year, that is when this event would occur. And this entire event was known as Hakel. Uh, once in seven years event, Hakel, which literally means gather, it's when all of the Jewish people would gather together to the Beis HaMikdosh. And the Mishnah begins to describe the procedure. They would make for him and for the king a wooden bima in the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdosh. We're talking about the Ezras Noshim. So not the main courtyard of the Beis HaMikdosh, but right outside of that, the smaller courtyard called the Ezras Noshim. And the king would sit on that bima. This was part of the honor given to the king that he would sit down. And now the, pos- the Mishnah brings a posuk, as the posuk says, at the end of seven years, at the Yom Tov, etc. The Mishnah is bringing this posuk for the sake of the beginning of the Mishnah, where we said when Hakel takes place. So the king is sitting on the wooden beamer, and Chazna Knesses, the person who is in charge of the technical details of the shul takes the Sefer Torah and gives it to the head of the shul, who is the Gabba. The Rosh HaKnesses and the head of the shul, the Gabba, gives it to the deputy Kohen Godol. And the deputy Kohen Godol gives it to the Kohen Godol, the Kohen Godol And the Kohen Godol then gives the Sefer Torah to the king. Again, all of this increases the honor of the event. The king stands up and receives, he takes the Sefer Torah while standing up. And then he sits down with Kuro Yoshev, and he reads the Sefer Torah whilst sitting down. Even though in general one is required to stand up whilst reading the Sefer Torah, this is part of the honor of the king that he would sit down whilst doing so. Agrippas Amelech, Agrippas the king, who was descended from Hurdus, who was originally a non-Jewish slave of the Chashmenoim, the descendants of the Chashmenoim of the Hanukkah story. The family of Chashmenoim were the kings of Eretz Yisrael for a while, and Hudus 
he overcame them and took the throne. But originally he was a non-Jewish slave. And this king, Agrippas Amelech, who was Jewish himself, but he was descended from this Hordos who was a non-Jewish slave originally. Now when it was Hal- when it was Hakel during his reign, Omad Vakibel, he stood up and received the Sev Torah, the Korah Oimeid, and read the Sev Torah while standing up. The Shibchu Chachomim and the Chachomim praised him for doing so, because it showed humility on his part and honor towards the Sev Torah. And even though in general a king is forbidden to forego on any honor, over here it was for the sake of the honor of the Torah, he was permitted to do so, and indeed the Chachomim praised him for doing so. Be as it may, Agipas started reading from the Sefer Torah, and when he reached the posuk of You are not able to place upon yourself as king a non-Jew. The eyes of Agipas became full of tears, and tears flowed from his eyes. Because this posuk also teaches us that somebody who is descended from a non-Jew is also invalid to be a, to be a king. And Agupas was indeed descended from Hurdus, who was not Jewish. So this posuk is really something which invalidates Agupas from being king at all. Now, when the Chachomim saw that his eyes were full of tears, Omruloi, they called out to him, they said to him, Altisyore Agupas, don't be afraid Agupas, Chinuato, 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 you are our brother. They said it three times, they comforted him, and really they flattered him. And the Gemara writes that the Chachomim were criticized for this, even though they were doing it for the sake of Sholem Malchus to retain harmony with the king. Nevertheless, they were criticized for this flattery, and really they were wrong. Agipas was indeed not valid to be king because of this Pasuk. Be as it may, the mission now ends the story and comes back to the process of Hakel. Which parts of the Torah would the king read? He would read from the beginning of Sefer Devarim until Shema, that's in Parshas Vos Chanon. And then he would read Shema, the paragraph of Shema and Vahavta. And then he would skip to Parshas Ekev where he would read Vahavta Shomaya, that's the second paragraph of Shema which we read. And then he would read the Parsha of Aser to Aser, instructing everybody to separate tithes. Sukkot is the time that tithes were separated. And even though it happened to be the year after Shemitah, and during Shemitah people don't work the field, so they wouldn't have any tithes to separate. Nevertheless, because at this time of the year, during the other years of the Shemitah cycle, this is the time of year where they would have to separate tithes. Because of that, the, the king would read this part of the Torah to remind them to do so in other years. And then, the part of the Torah which talks about when one finishes to separate the tithes. And this talks about other tithes, Ufash Melech, who would read the part of the Torah, which talks about appointing a king and the various prohibitions upon a king. Ubrochus Ukulolais, then he would read the blessings and curses, which were discussed earlier on in this Perek. Parsha, until he finishes the end of that part of the Torah, talking about the blessings and curses, and the covenant which Hashem made with the Jewish people. All of these parts which the king is reading are very important fundamental things which he needs to give over to the people once they've all gathered to hear him read from the Sefer Torah in the Beis HaMikdash. And once he had finished reading from the Sefer Torah, he would also make eight brachas, just like the Kohen Gadol did on Yom Kippur. And they would be exactly the same brachas, says the Mishnah, brachas to Kohen Gadol and The same brachas which the Kohen Gadol would make on Yom Kippur, the king would make now on Sukkot during Hakel. Except for one. He would say the bracha about the Yom Tov, which is very similar to the bracha we say during Yom Tov Shemona Esrei, Atav Chartonu, etc. 
He would say that as the fourth bracha instead of asking Hashem for forgiveness, which is more applicable and appropriate for Yom Kippur. In the list at the beginning of the previous parak, the last thing on the list which must be said in Lashon HaKodesh was the speech of the Koyim Shuach Muhammad. The Koyim Shuach Muhammad was a Koyim who was designated to speak to the people and give them encouragement before they went out to war. And this wasn't just another job of a Koyim. The Koyim who had this job was anointed with special oil, which the Koyim Godel was anointed with. And the prohibitions which apply to a Koyim Godel, for example, the fact that he's forbidden to marry a widow, that would all apply to this Kohen as well. So this is a very unique position, and the Torah itself writes many psukim of description of what the Kohen Shach Muhammad should tell the people. And the following Kabbalah Mishnahis will bring many of the psukim and explain them, beginning with the fact that Meshach Muhammad, the Kohen Meshach Muhammad, B'Shosh Shem Dabar Al-Am, at the time that he would speak to the people before they went out to war, he would speak in Lashon HaKodesh. And as the Pesach says, It will be when you come close to war, then the Kohen will approach. That is referring to the Kohen Meshach And the Pesach continues, And he will speak to the people. And we learn from that word, um, He will speak that it has to be in Lashon HaKodesh. We learn this out of Xerah Shava. Elsewhere it says, We learn from the Pesukim that it has to be said in Lashon HaKodesh. Continues the Pesuk, And he will say to them, This is part of the Kermit Shach Muhammad's speech, Shema Yisrael. Listen, Jewish people, You are coming near to war against your enemies. This is now the Mishnah explaining, You're not fighting against your brothers, other members of the Jewish people. It's not the residents of Yehuda, which was a part of Eretz Yisrael, fighting against Shimon, the tribe of Shimon, it's not the tribe of Shimon, fighting against the tribe of Binyamin, that if you were to fall into their hands, they would have mercy on you, they would take pity, um, in a similar way to what is recorded in the Pasuk. When there was once a war between two parts of Eretz Israel, a part of the Jewish people against another part. This was during the times of Ochoz, and there was a battle where one side caught many, many captives, and the Pasuk says, And the men who were picked who were specified by name, they got up, and they took hold of the captives, and all of the captives who were unclothed, they gave them clothes from the spoils, they gave them clothes, they gave them shoes, they gave them food and drink, they gave them oil to rub on their bodies, and they led any weak ones on donkeys, and they brought them to Yericho, the city of palm trees, to their fellow brothers, and they went back to Shomrain. So that's an example of where there was a war on one side. One, they captured members of the other side, and they had pity on them. But the Kermit Shach Muhammad needs to tell the people that they need to realize that they're fighting against their enemies. You are going now to fight against your enemies. That if you fall in their hands, they're not going to have any mercy on you, so you have to win. Now the Mishnah continues with the Psukim, explaining each line of the Psukim. 
Don't let your hearts become soft. Don't fear. Don't be petrified. The Gomer, etc. So the Mishnah explains. When the Pasuk says, don't let your hearts become soft. Why is it saying so many different ways of the same thing? Why is it saying don't be scared in many different ways? So the first one is saying don't be afraid because of the noises which the horses are making. The enemy would, would try and make the horses make loud noises to frighten the other side. And the shining swords. And the Pesach says don't fear. That's referring to because of the shields banging together. Which is another thing which the enemy would do to frighten them. They would make loud noises by banging the shields against each other. The Shifas HaKalgasin and the huge number of soldiers. Al-Tahpazu, don't be petrified with Kola Kronos. From the voice, from the sound of their trumpets. al This is another way of saying don't be terrified. Don't be scared. Because of the voice of their cries. And the enemy's shouting. Continues the Apostle, Because Hashem, your God, who is going with you. That's a continuation of the Apostle. And again, the Mishnah interrupts and explains what exactly the emphasis is, is now of the Kom Shachmuchamah. He needs to express the message that They, the enemy, are coming, believing in the victory of humans. Human victory. But you are coming, believing in the victory of Hashem. You're fighting for Hashem, as it were. Hashem is on your side. And you should bring examples. The Pelishtim came trusting and believing in the victory of Goliath in the times of David HaMelech. That was their warrior. And Meho Yosefer, what was his end? In the end, he fell by the sword, and the Pelishtim also fell with him. David HaMelech ended up killing him, and they won that battle against the Pelishtim. And another example is B'nai Amain, Boimun Tzchenishal Shavach. The nation of Amain came believing in the victory of Shavach, who was a general of their army. And Meho Yosefoi, what was his end? In the end, again, he fell by the sword, and the people of Amain also fell by the sword with him. The Atem came, but you are not like that. Because Hashem, your God, is going with you to fight for you, the Gomer, etc. And the Mishnah explains, this is not the Kohen Mishrach Muhammad speaking anymore, but the Mishnah is, explains what does it mean that Hashem is going with them. So apart from the understanding that Hashem would help them, it's also referring, Zemach Neha Oroin, it's referring to the encampment of the Oroin, the Oroin HaKodesh with the Luchais would go out to war with them. So that is another explanation of the Posuk, which says that Hashem is going out to fight with you. Mishnah base. The second part of the Kermeshom speech refers more to announcements. Until now, it's more an encouragement and making them aware that they are fighting against the enemy. The next Mishnah is discuss the second part of the Kermeshom speech, and that is announcing who amongst the Jewish people is exempt from fighting. There are certain rules where it's an obligation for every man who is fit to fight, with the exception of certain categories which we'll see where they're obligated to fight. So, the officers will speak to the people, saying, and what the Mishnah is saying is that the Kohen would make these announcements, and then other officers would repeat them in much louder voices to the rest of the people. So what would he say? He's quoting the Pasuk, any man who has built a new house but has not yet dedicated the new house, 
he should go and return to his house for Gomer, etc. And he is not obligated to fight. And this refers not only to somebody who builds a house in order to live in, it also refers to one who builds a place to store straw, stables to store animals for them to live in, a building or a room for storing wood, any other storehouse. If he's built a relatively significant structure and he hasn't yet used it and benefited from it, then he wouldn't need to go out to war. It refers not only to one who builds it, but whether he bought it, whether he inherited it, or if it was given to him as a gift, if he hasn't yet used it, that is also a reason to exempt him from fighting. That is category number one of people who are exempt from fighting. One who has built a new house. Number two, one who has um, planted a vineyard, but hasn't yet redeemed the fruit of the vineyard, the gomer, etc. When a vineyard or a field is planted, it's forbidden to benefit from its fruit during the first three years. That's known as orla. And then fruit which grows in the fourth year, if it's in a vineyard, then it's known as kerem revoi. And that produce can be eaten, but it has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. And in a practical sense, if somebody has a field with lots of fruit and it's far away from Yerushalayim, he's not going to bring all of that fruit up to Yerushalayim. Rather, he would redeem the fruit onto money, bring the money to Yerushalayim, and then spend the money in Yerushalayim buying fruit. And then he would eat it there. So if somebody has planted a vineyard and he hasn't yet reached the fourth year to benefit and redeem and eat the produce of his field, that is the second category of somebody who is exempt from war. Whether one who plants a vineyard, and it applies to anybody who plants five fruit trees, the reason being that the definition of a vineyard is made up of five vines at least. So the equivalent of a different fruit tree field would be five of those trees. Even if it's five different kinds of trees. Whether it's somebody who planted the trees, or even if he didn't plant it, but he started a new growth. For example, he did a process of havrocha, which is where you take the branches, or let's say a tree or a vine, and you bend it down back into the ground, and then it grows slightly under the ground, horizontally, and then you bring it back up from the ground further along. So it's similar to planting a new tree. You're making this tree grow more in a different place. Vechadha Markiv, or one who grafts two trees together. And again, whether he bought it or inherited it or received it as a gift, he would also be included in this exemption. Alright, number three. Whichever man has performed Kiddushin on a woman, Kedushin is the first stage of marriage where one acquires his wife. And the Mishnah says this applies whether he received, whether he performed Kedushin with a woman who has never been married before. So that's considered to be a greater joy. Or whether he performs Kedushin with a widow, or even if she is a Shmeris Yovam, which means that her husband died without children. And now even without performing Kedushin, she automatically has a connection, a weak marital connection known as a Zika with her previous her dead husband's brother, even if somebody hears that his brother died in the war, 
and he didn't have children, so he became a Yavam. He's now got a mitzvah to perform Yibam and to marry his dead brother's wife. So that would be a reason, he would return for himself, he would leave the war, and he wouldn't need to fight, even if that reason only comes about during the war itself. So to summarize, there are three main um, categories of exemptions over here. One who built a house, one who planted a vineyard, and one who performed Kiddushin with a woman. All these people would hear the words of the Koyain from the battlefield, the Chazin of Satkemayin Mozain, and they would return home and provide water and food for those who were fighting, and they would, uh, they would also fix the roads which were needed by the army. So it's not that they wouldn't do anything, it's just they wouldn't need to be the ones who would actually fight the war.